welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about the hipster elite so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Not Cool, The Hipster Elite and Their War on You by Greg Gutfeld. Joining us to delve into why hipsters are poisoning our nation is Amy, a young adult librarian slash cool feminist hipster. Hi, Amy. Hello. Um, First question, Amy, why have you declared war on us? Um, I just really hate uh, veterans, mostly. (laughs) Uh, Just freedom in general. I want to take it. I want it to be mine, and I want us to live in the Stone Age. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sounds pretty reasonable. (laughs) At least that's what the pamphlet they gave me in the uh, cool induction ceremony said. Okay, cool. I mean, not cool. <laughs> oh. Uh, okay. So this, I had never heard of Greg Gutfeld. I guess he has, he's a Fox News anchor, which, uh, you know, I'm just not really in the habit of watching, to be honest. <laughs> but I, I um, as part of my job at work, like I go through the New York Times bestsellers list and put it on our website every week. So the the full title of this, like, really captured my imagination uh, like, you know, not cool, colon, the hipster elite and their war on you. I was like, is that real? Like, is that really what this is about? And so then I looked it up later and I was like, that is what this is about. <laughs> like, there is no irony here. He genuinely thinks that hipsters are declaring war on America. And so yeah. obviously yeah. I wanted to make Kate read it. <laughs> um, when it first came up and I looked it up for the first time, like, I was I read the first line of the Amazon summary and I was like, oh, okay, this is satire. And then I read the second line Uh of the Amazon summary and I was like, maybe it's satire. And then I read the third line of the Amazon summary and I tried to set my computer on fire. (laughs) So... Well, I'm really glad that I told Renata that I had a degree in political science, so... Whenever she had a crazy nonfiction book by a political person, that I would totally read it. And then she gave me this book and ruined my life. I mean, forever. You, you know what the podcast is, Amy? Did you think it was going to be John Stewart? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I'm so angry. <laughs> so let's. Okay, so this book, it doesn't really have a plot per se, it's just sort of a loosely connected string of essays about things that Greg Gutfeld thinks are cool, which means they're actually not cool. There's this whole kind of Orwellian doublespeak going on throughout, actually, where, like, anything that he doesn't like, he calls cool, but it's clear that he actually means it's not cool. And then the last chapter is about how all the things that he thinks are actually cool are things that are not cool, and he calls them free radicals. It's like he talks about cool, which is the bad stuff, and then truly cool, which is the good stuff, even though he spends so much time laying out how the idea of cool itself is damaging. Yeah, the introduction to this book is basically him being like, I was in like fifth grade and everybody went out and watched Happy Days and came to school the next day and decided that they were going to be in a gang And I knew from then on in that cool people are just people who follow the flock like sheep and that my natural propensity towards going my own way meant that I would never be cool 
but I'd be better than them. Yeah, and, I mean, the the plot of the book is cool people are not cool. Being cool is terrible, but please believe that I am actually cooler than everyone. Right. It's like 200 pages of congratulating himself for being such a brilliant free thinker. He talks a lot in that introduction about nude foursquare. Oh my god. (laughs) How the other kids wanted to form a gang, and he wanted to play nude foursquare. And this somehow made him a free-thinking, awesome person. (laughs) His sense of humor in this, like, he has all these asides that are, like, jokes and i'm doing air quotes on this podcast you can't see them <laughs> but his jokes are just they're st- it, it genuinely feels like mad libs like they're just so random like so i've pulled out a couple like um a couple examples like the only candidate i'd allow to play my music would be bigfoot and unless we're talking about foraging for squirrels he is notoriously apolitical if Mitt were a liberal and the charity focused on sex workers with webbed feet, we'd be organizing Live Aid too. Oh, and there's one where he calls James Franco a human comma, which I was mad about because A... What does that mean? Like, A, I love James Franco. B, you can make fun of James Franco for days. Like, there's plenty of shit you can say about him. Like, he is uh, self-involved. He does the weirdest shit all the time. But human comma, like... He's a pause in between thoughts. Like, that's not James Franco. <laughs> See, I thought it was maybe the shape. Like, James Franco has terrible posture. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about, Greg? James Duckfield? Franco has scoliosis, which is cool. <laughs> by which I mean not cool. <laughs> the whole book really reads like he wrote all of these semi-angry screeds against everything that he felt was wrong about society and then went back and randomly peppered in out-of-context jokes that he, like, pulled from a hat. (laughs) So many of them, they don't make any sense in context. They come out of nowhere. They don't even fit into the sentence or the paragraph in a way that makes sense. It's very, very peculiar. It's super strange. And it reminds me of, um, for anybody who listens to Comedy Bang Bang, um, when Harris Whittles, R.I.P., would come on and do his Harris's Foam Corner, and which if it was just jokes that he had saved on his phone that he knew weren't funny enough to be tweets, but he still <laughs> felt they were kind of funny, so he would read them on the podcast. I feel like that's what he... This is like the Fox News version of Harris's Foam Corner, and he just, like, dumped them all into these, like, rants about how women are ruining everything. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it was... As I was reading this book, so I read most of it at work, um, and I read the last, like, 50 or 60 pages I read at home this weekend, and Becca was home, and she stopped me at one point, and she was like, are you okay? Is something wrong? And I was like, I'm just reading this book. And she's like, you're making these faces like someone's murdering your family. <laughs> like, I, I was physically reacting to the book because it made me so mad. <laughs> yeah. Um, to give you guys an example of, like, why we feel this way, we, as in the as we were reading, we kind of pulled out a list of things that he thinks are cool, which is not cool, and then things that he thinks are 
uncool, meaning they're genuinely cool. And I thought maybe we'd just read them to give you a sense of, like, how fucked up this is. So, things that are cool, meaning terrible, include Barack Obama, black people, Latinos, mental illness, gay people, most celebrities, especially Sean Penn, Robert Redford, and Michael Moore, environmentalism, terrorists, gangs, Max, hoodies, Huffington Post, college professors, Islam, and the coasts. Yeah. Um, I have some more. Can I read some yeah. of them? Uh, public breastfeeding, activism, just in general, I guess, rolling stone, nipple piercings, ennui, France, empathy, abortion, of course, the coolest, Super cool. Johnny Depp, indigenous people's jewelry, Sure. Like, literally, that's in there. Um, poorly shot foreign movies. <laughs> and then uh, I just have Sean Penn times 3,000. He hates Sean Penn so bad. So much. Yeah. And then, um, Kate, do you want to take us home with the list of things that are truly cool? So his uncool things, and I'm using air quotes too, <laughs> meaning the things that he can really get behind are fracking, coal, Veterans, capitalism, victims of terrorists, jobs, John McCain, old people, America, conservative celebrities like Charlton Heston, white people, Asian people, Fox News, Christianity, DDT, married straight couples, the South, the Midwest, virgins, parents, and black conservatives. Yeah. Yeah. So. (laughs) All the best things America has to offer. (laughs) One of the most annoying things about this is that occasionally he would make a point that I agreed with, but then he would back it up with things that I disagreed with or, like, make his point yeah. in such a way that I was like, wait, maybe I don't even think that. Or, like, um, like he had a couple different times in there where he would talk about how, you know, it's not cool that people on the coast always make so much fun of the South and the Midwest because, like, people live here and they're – and, like, I'm like, yeah, I live here. It's fine here. Um, but then he goes off the rails and he's like – and, like, oh, what did he even say? Oh, well, then then it's, like, because, like, people here have, like, good morals and they're, like, Christians. I'm like, no, that's the stereotype also. But now you're <laughs> yeah. just doing it, like, for good. Or, like, oh, and he keeps talking about how, like, murder only happens in, like, New York City and, like, the coast. And the good people of the South and Midwest don't do murders. And it's, like, actually, I mean, yeah, we have crime here also. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm from the Midwest, and there was an elderly serial killer couple who lived, like, 20 miles from where I grew up. Oh, well, That's see, but old people are cool. I mean, not cool. <laughs> <laughs> so they're fine. Even if they're serial killers, Renata? Especially. Especially. <laughs> I, I agree. I actually agree with him on the uh, serial killer old people point. 
Um, but no, like there was a point that he made that I really agree with, which was like the way uh, people aren't learning trades anymore. And so we actually have like a shortage of people working in trades. Oh, yeah. And I agree with that. But he then he basically was saying it was because all the kids, by which he means our generation, um, are too cool to have a trade. Right. And, yeah. and are too high and mighty to take those jobs. And it's like, no, the whole society told us that we had to go to college or die alone and poor in a ditch. And now we have too many student loans to do those jobs. Right. He has, like, multiple things. Like, he has multiple times talking about how fracking is great because it provides all these jobs. But because, like, kids think it's too, it's cool not to destroy the environment. So they would rather, like, just, um, you know, get food stamps than have an uncool job like fracking. And it's like, well, actually, like... You know, yeah, there is a lot of unemployment in our age bracket, but maybe it's not because we are refusing to take uncool jobs so much as, like, well, A, all those jobs are in North Dakota, so you would have to, like, <laughs> move there. And anyway, so many reasons. Like, uh, yeah, he'll have these occasional things where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's true, but you are interpreting this data so weirdly. Or, like, he talks about how cool he's like, oh, and... He's like, black people are the coolest people, and black people are in prison way more than white people, so it's because coolness leads to crime. It's like, or maybe institutional racism leads to black people being arrested way more than white people? Like, it's so what? insane. It's like, he just a piece takes that got in my mind was He talks about how, you know, people who refuse to eat foods with chemicals in them are crazy because you know chemicals can be helpful and he goes on this whole thing about how um Adwala used to not pasteurize juice and then people got sick so they had to start pasteurizing their juice and like I agree with that I agree that you know there's some chemicals in food that everything is kind of a chemical and that you can break down like obviously there are some foods that are mass produced but there's chemicals in other things that aren't necessarily bad for you but then he like essentially uses the same logic to say that we should be spraying everything with ddt and we should be like you know doing all these other things and and allowing all this other stuff to it just like makes like he, he says one good thing and then uses that to make a huge logical leap for how insane things should be okay yeah his whole DDT rant is just the most terrible and ridiculous thing. And is not even like he talks about how um, DDT could save all these people from malaria, but pretty much everyone has banned it everywhere. And there's actually um, like most, I don't know if I can say most because I don't have like the actual specific data in front of me, but a lot of those country have, like specific uh, exceptions so that they can use DDT to handle severe malaria infested areas. And that's not what he says at all. And, but he also is like, he quotes one tiny um, research thing. And if you actually read what it says, it doesn't mean anything. Like, it means that the people we looked at right now are not sick from DDT. 
That's another thing, too, broadly, that he has no footnotes, no endnotes. Like, occasionally he'll, like, parenthetically say, like, on Huffington Post or, like, Google it. But there's no specific citations ever. And, you know, I know that it's not necessarily, like, a hardcore nonfiction book. It's sort of, you know, it's like essays. But even so, I would expect there to be a little bit more citation of these, like, facts that he has. In fact, I even, I was looking forward to, you know, when you read a nonfiction book and you're like, oh, it looks long, but it's really not so long because the last part is endnotes. Like, that's how I tend to feel just because... I tend to read nonfiction that actually does have endnotes. And so I was like, so betrayed when I got, and I was like, oh no, this is all, there's no endnotes. I have to read all of this because none of this is, has any evidence. Yeah. So this is actually like a pretty common, well, I don't know if I want to say common, um, but like, it's a thing that people in politics do where you can like use data but you don't really want to cite it you don't really want to like show people graphs and things because since since politics isn't a hard science and you can't just say like absolutely this is the right way to do it and that's not there's like this fear that the people you're talking to will think for themselves and interpret that data differently than you did so if you're like this guy and just absolutely fucking nuts, then you should just leave it out. Well, I hate it. He also does this thing where, like, throughout the entire book, things are very, like, cool and not cool are very, like, harsh black and white categories. Like, either people are with him or against him. Which means that he, like, he'll take these outliers that he disagrees with and just assume that every other single person who disagrees with him must believe that. Like he talked yeah. about vaccines at one point and then like, obviously liberals must hate vaccines because he likes vaccines, but like that, that's not true. Or he, um, and this one for various reasons, like really got to me, but he goes off on, Amanda Palmer and her um, poem that she wrote yeah. about the Boston uh, marathon bombing terrorists and how like all liberals love terrorists and are infatuated with them and obsessed with them when like I can attest that there are quite a lot of young liberals living in the greater Boston area around that time who thought that she was like cuckoo bananas when she did that and really out of hand like not everything not everything that he doesn't like automatically is loved by people who he doesn't like but he doesn't seem to grasp that nuance it's either right. you know likes it or he doesn't like it and if you're against him then you must like the things he doesn't like well and he takes one example and then that example is all the proof he needs so he's actually I feel like obsessed with the Boston Marathon bomber. Or yeah, because he talks Every about time. that multiple times. Like that's also why he hates Rolling Stone because he's he used to like Rolling Stone, but then they put um they put him on the cover, and so now he doesn't want to call it a boycott because he doesn't oh. believe in boycotts, Jesus but he won't Christ. support Rolling Stone because it's evil. Yeah, he which is and the every definition time, of a boycott. And every time he brings up other things and he's just sort of 
steamrolling through these points. Then somewhere at the end, whenever he like has sort of run out of a place, he doesn't actually have anything to say. He just sort of tacks on and they probably, you know, feel really bad for the Boston Marathon bomber. Like period, end of chapter. Yeah. Even though it has nothing to do with anything, but he has that one example of Amanda Palmer. Who is also a celebrity, therefore all celebrities are garbage also. Even though when he mentions that, he mentions that, like, almost nobody knows who Amanda Palmer is. And it's like, so she's not cool? I don't understand. Uh... And there's so much, like, he also, he really is trying to make himself out as this, like, everyman. And, like, it's, I mean, obviously a lot of, like, politicians and such do that. But it's gross. Like, um... You know, he talks so much about how how much he respects the military and how, um, you know, liberals don't respect the military and they would never have the guts to join the army. But occasionally he mentions that, like, he didn't join the army either and that he, like, regrets it. And then he, like, also, he is a celebrity. Like... Barely, I guess. and But he, you know, he has a TV <laughs> show. He has best-selling books. He's a celebrity. And also, like, he talks so much shit about, like, New York and how, like, the best people live in the Midwest and the South. But he lives in New York City. <laughs> he lives in New York City and works on a major news station. Like, he is not a blue-collar person. Uh, Don't look behind the curtain, Renata. Yeah. <laughs> and oh and also a couple times also he talks about how he's an atheist but liberals are the ones who like don't respect religion and like whatever whatever and like all the good people are christian and it's not cool to be christian parentheses that means it actually is cool yeah he at one point like he talks i think in the gay marriage chapter where he talks about how he actually supports gay marriage because men are naturally promiscuous, so by allowing gays to marry, uh, you know, those men will be tied down and they won't be out having sex with strangers all the time. Um, and also because he's a libertarian, so he doesn't care who people have sex with, you know, because he wants to stay out of your bedroom. But then when he talks about abortion, obviously, like, that is a completely different thing. And the same values don't apply because reasons. That, and also he has, like, several chapters about how when he was younger, like, girls wouldn't just have sex because their parents raised them right. Now girls have sex all the time and, like, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, like, I, th- I thought you didn't care. But you kind of do care, it seems. Ooh. He, I almost feel like it must be awful to be him. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, just, I mean, not that I feel bad for him so much, but just, he just hates everything except veterans. (laughs) In fact, Amy, the title of his previous book was The Joy of Hate. I know. And it's like, there's a part of this book where he's like, because it's cool to hate things, and that's uncool. And I was like, dude, you wrote a book called The Joy of Hate. Who are you? <laughs> he is the uncoolest person I know. 
Oh my god. Let's, I guess let's go ahead and go into our dramatic readings, because this is another one where I feel like it would be really easy to listen to us ranting, like, oh, they're like, that's hyperbole, like, he didn't literally say black people go to jail because coolness causes crime, but he did! (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I'll start, because that is the section that I have chosen to read aloud. Let me draw on my past first. When I was a kid, I had a best friend who I'll call James, because his name was James. In kindergarten, we got on like two peas in a pod. We weren't aware that we belonged to different teams with different skin colors. All we knew was that we laughed a lot, perhaps only because we sat next to each other. Really, that could have been it. When you're five years old and eat boogers for a living, you aren't picky. Well, I guess you are, actually. I spent a year being friends with James, and then our friendship disappeared. In first grade, he went to one school and I went to another. When we ran into each other some years later, maybe sixth grade, he was different. I'd like to think I was the same. I'd grown an inch, but now I had a crossword of acne on my forehead and an unnatural obsession with Lee Majors. But he treated me oddly. Not like an old friend, but like a faceless ghost. A disposable stranger. To him, perhaps, I was suddenly just another white kid in a white world, and he was black. I didn't get it at first, but over time, I sensed it had to do with me not being like him anymore. I accepted the new reality, sadly, for no other reason than that there was no alternative. His rejection bothered me, and I guess, since I'm writing about it now, it still does. Yeah, I know. When you're kids, you don't know racism or the reality of life. But we were friends, and suddenly we weren't. For a 45-pound pile of good-natured energy, I was miffed. I was hurt. I drowned my sorrows in Mr. Pibb and Pop Rocks. Together, they gave you x-ray vision. I saw James a few years later. We are now officially strangers. On a few occasions, I would say hi, and he looked at me like I was a billboard for discount electrolysis. He walked right by me, with cooler things in mind. This episode with James is my first glimmer of a separation that became more common as I experienced more of life. If blacks believe we judge by color, why shouldn't they return the favor? George Elliott Clark from Duke University explains that cool, though an amorphous quality, more mystique than material, is a pervasive element in urban black male culture. He quotes other academics, Richard Majors and Janet Mancini-Bilson, who say that blacks employ cool as a tool for hammering masculinity out of the bronze of their daily lives, or rather a way to tip society's imbalanced scales in his favor. My take, if you are born powerless, you create your own power through a detached, third-rail, cool persona that others dare not touch. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead because he kind of goes off. Blah, blah, blah. If life offered mulligans, I'd bet every single person who opted for cool as a teen would jump at the chance to opt out of the lifestyle that swallowed a decade of their life or more. I wonder where the hell my old friend James is now. Unfortunately, statistics say it's six times more likely that he'll be in prison than I will. That ain't cool. Like, what? (laughs) Oh... Congratulations to James for getting the fuck out of that. Right. I mean, the whole, like, he's so oblivious. Like, the way you're talking about this, can you really not imagine any possible reason why this guy wouldn't want to be friends with you, you douchebag? Oh, my God. 
And I also love his whole like, when we're when you're young, you don't understand racism. You don't understand the differences. Well, you might, but I have a feeling the black kid is gonna figure out pretty quickly that people treat him differently. Like, do you not even understand the words that are coming out of your mouth? He does not. <sighs> no. He certainly does not. Uh. Right. And and then again, like he's sort of getting at something interesting there about like um, the kind of the types of social capital that black men have and don't have. But then his kind of takeaway is like, oh, well, maybe if they were just less worried about being cool, then like they wouldn't be in jail so much. Like what? Oh, my God. Yeah. <sighs> All right. I'm going to read a little bit about his chapter from his chapter on romance and virginity. Um, not quite. I'm not going to read quite the whole thing, but I'm going to read a paragraph and then the, the opening and then the closing of the chapter. How about? Okay. Okay. The Rebels of Romance. As the sibling of three sisters, I'm an expert on bad boyfriends. I saw every kind. Druggies, jocks, tennis players, Ruby Tuesday waiters. But growing up, girls are always told by their dads, brothers, and uncles to steer clear of the riffraff. The bad guys traffic in cool, mimicking the bad boy persona glamorized in movies. Shorthand, a walking sulk. Your father, if he was smart, terrorized them with a glance. Here's what dads know. Cool is alluring when you're young, but it's not the best choice for marriage. When a man or woman settles down, they are instinctively programmed to seek out the meat that provides for them over the long term. Yes, I know, provides is some sexist code word for misogynistic lady-hating bastard, but that's only because feminists made it so. Providing for someone is a sacrifice, and it's mutually selfish. That's the pact. You're a team, and you provide for each other. Then, later on, provide for a family. True, it sets limits on other behaviors. You can't stay out all night doing lines of coke anymore. Well, unless you've got a nanny who wipes down the mirror. Overall, though, the settling down thing is a good thing. It creates a long-term solution for something that requires a long-term solution. The mailing of your genes into the future, safely. Um, blah, 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 blah. So we'll skip ahead a little bit. He talks a little bit about an Olympic athlete who shocked everyone by declaring that she was a virgin and then goes on to say that she's an example of what I would call a super fact, i.e. a really great fact. Delayed gratification never leads to failure in life, ever. Ask yourself this, has anything ever gone wrong in your life if you put something off? I'm talking about a drink or a drug, a cheeseburger, a random sex act. Every time I'm about to order something from Taco Bell, I think to myself, if I'm around tomorrow, I'll do it then. And I never do. It's how I've kept my girlish figure for the last four years. I've also avoided a lot of explosive diarrhea. And what happens if you resist? Does your life collapse or do you actually get something done? Chances are you always do something that makes you feel better than whatever temptation you were about to succumb to. I call this the power of procrastination. I sense a Dr. Phil segment in my future. The forgotten art of delayed gratification became forgotten because the culture of the 60s and 70s transmitted the message through TV, movies, and music that it was cool to satisfy your every whim whenever it stuck your fan struck your fancy. If it feels good, do it, were six words that defined the downward slide of culture. 
to test yourself against the rigors of discipline, to gain whatever prize might be waiting for you at the end, was a waste of your time. One would be hard-pressed to find a more nihilistic, destructive philosophy. What used to be cool and rather smart, working or waiting, fell under the heading of why bother? Anyone who, as a kid, was walking to band or soccer practice only to be stopped by a friend wishing to do otherwise, break into a house and steal underwear, knows what I mean. Tune in, turn on, drop out didn't produce a nation of enlightened beings. It produced a nation that can barely read and write. Feminists tricked women into thinking that wanting the same things as cool and careless men do and throwing caution and bras to the wind would put you in a better place. It might give you some better memories at first, but the place you end up in is never the place you expect it. It's never with that guy. He gets what he wants and moves on. Yes, I'm sounding like a grandmother, but maybe I am one. I do smell an awful lot like lavender, but that's a medical disorder. No one wants to hear it, but studies find what I'm getting at. Delayed gratification works. The younger you have sex, the sooner you peak in just about everything. You grow old too fast, and nothing seems that great as life goes on. Lolo shows you what you can do if you, just, if you forget just say no and embrace just not now. It allows you to get more crap done, and that allows more freedom. Freedom most feminists can never dream of. Lolo's flown all over the world because she worked hard. Most feminist bloggers don't get past Penn Station when they're taking the train back home to their parents to do laundry. Lolo's resistance to what other people define as cool has allowed her many options many feminists will never, ever have. No wonder they hate her. Which, um, the thing is, I don't remember, um hearing about this when it happened and also like i kind of feel like he must be blowing it out of proportion that like all these feminists were bullying her for being a virgin because that doesn't really seem like a thing that feminine like you know at least not good feminists would do because feminists are all about like if you want to be a virgin like fine like feminists are about like your choice. So again, this must be like like maybe Amanda Palmer made fun of her for being a virgin, like one person <laughs> did, and he yeah. went like and then he decided that all feminists did. Well, if you've and... ever watched Fox News, like you will turn it on and they will be going nuts over some story that you never even knew existed because it's not a real thing that anybody cares about. They just, like, make a fuss to make it seem like people care about it and are either disagreeing with them or agreeing with them. Yeah. it Like, the whole thing seems like it's, it's like, the same thing that kind of goes throughout the book where he takes all of these different points and, like, very vaguely strings them together to turn them in the downfall of everything. Like, I, I can't, um, like, with no... No knocking this girl for choosing to save her virginity for marriage, but I sincerely doubt that the only reason she's an Olympic athlete is because she's never had sex. <laughs> like, right. I, I just, unless she was the Olympic athlete in the not having sex division, like, I don't think choosing not to have sex is what made her successful. And I think it's really offensive to say that the only reason she's successful is because she hasn't had sex, and that if she had, she'd be, you know an ugly feminist blogger who can't even do her own laundry. Like, what kind of dichotomy is that supposed to be? Right, because, like, are all... What about all the other female Olympic athletes? Like, 
have they had sex or not? I don't, I don't know. I well, think they probably have. It's also all based in this idea that all women want to get married and that all women are either going to be doing laundry at their parents' house or lamenting that their boyfriend hasn't proposed to them. Or, yeah, or being happily married to a Fox News anchor. Yeah. (laughs) Those are your choices. That's it. And he he does occasionally, like, allude to the existence of homosexuality, but, like, never once does he acknowledge that there might be a woman who exists who doesn't want a man to fuck her. Yeah. Like, that's it, too much for him to put together. Those in the chapter on gay marriage, he talks entirely about, like, it's all about the gay men. And, like, yep. there's one per- parenthetical aside that's like, and maybe some women will want to get married to each other, too. Like, that is literally in the chapter on homosexual marriage, the only time he mentions lesbians or queer women at all. <sighs> Kate, didn't you know that... um Queer women aren't real. That's not a thing. Cool. Can I use my newfound powers of invisibility to like rob banks? No, because who, how would you spend that money without a husband to guide you? <laughs> You're just describing bootleg sex criminals, Kate. <laughs> uh, All right. Fun. Speaking of criminals i guess uh amy do you want to read your dramatic reading did you just call me a criminal no (laughs) (laughs) no i meant him well i meant (laughs) i meant ddt (laughs) it was a weak tangent let's get out of it (laughs) it's all right i'd be better at this if i were a virgin you guys that is quite clear (laughs) Um, I think that every time I see you, Renata. (laughs) Okay, so I am going to read a lovely little portion from a chapter entitled The Pitiful Ploy of the Bad Boy. I would like to point out that approximately half of his titles rhyme in some pseudo-clever way, and the other half, like, don't even try to. But that's besides the point. So uh, this is the chapter where he talks all about his friend's daughter, who is so cool because she decided not to go to prom because prom is just about pressuring girls into having sex. That's why the penis created cool, to get women past their common sense, the incredible fortress of reason called the brain. Women didn't invent cool. They didn't have to. They were born cool. They don't need men. They just need dolls and easy-bake ovens. And later, Project Runway, Capri Pants, and overpriced sushi. Cool is an evolutionary tool to unzip women's jeans and to further men's jeans. Of course, the cool kids have no idea that they're engaging, that what they're engaging in is really just another biological trick. They actually think they're being cool and being rewarded for it, when in fact they're just mindless, fleshy masses attached to a throbbing node, which is making all their dumb decisions for them. Acting cool is actually just well-worn circuitry employed by millions of men since the beginning of time. If cavemen could have formed rock bands and invented leather jackets, they would have. But they were too stupid and dying at 19, like many rockers do. Initially, cool was a disguise by the weaker male 
to get good girls to mate with weak or inferior men, then cool destructive behaviors like drug use, not caring, or hanging out, became mistaken for actual talent and character. Thanks to pop culture, which celebrities' dangerous behavior in which celebrates Thanks to pop culture, which celebrates dangerous behavior in music and movies, the cool have reached a measure of stardom usually relegated to actual achievers, hence acting. The whole point of being a movie star is to extend the cool prestige of high school to your entire life and to bang girls who, when you're 50, are pretty much still in high school. Shout out to Woody Allen. But for the rest of us, cool has a shelf shelf life. If you're a quarterback in high school, you're cool. But 10 years later, working as a sullen bouncer at the only nightclub in town, your cool is on, is on life support, which is why so many young girls who never said no end up with losers in pants hanging down below their asses and no known income to speak of. These cads were charming in high school. Now they're as useless as shoulder pads on a snake. In the end, the winner is the female who says, I can do better. The winner has an ego so strong that when the cool try to storm the gates, they drown in a moat of stoicism. While watching some murder trial unfold on headline news, I asked my wife a simple question. Would you leave me if you found out that I had killed someone? I expected her to say, I would stand by you. But without pause, she said, I'd leave you. Of course, she often says this. But nonetheless, that's the kind of chick you want. She has no time for mystery, danger, or the trappings of a bad boy. To her, it's just baggage, and it should be for all girls and for all women. This is not an epiphany. Any old lady born in the 1940s could tell you this, but cool redefined the positive attributes of young of your average male. A non-productive, commitment-phobic creep now becomes hip and mysteriously remote. The cities are full of women falling for the cool loser, the man trafficking in edgy, so women cut him slack in his more loathsome behaviors. Christ, I know so many, it's sad. Please accept my flaws and pay my rent because I can play the guitar badly. Um, So I just want to skip to the last paragraph of this chapter because it sums it up so beautifully. Imagine if all girls called a moratorium on cool. How amazing would it be for women to stop demeaning themselves with morose jerks and actually demand decent guys? Maybe the best tip is this. Treat every day as though you're preparing for the prom. If it doesn't meet your expectations, make other plans. I'm free most weekends. L-O-L. Yeah, so take Greg Gutfield to prom is the moral of that chapter, I guess. That's my one word review of this book. (laughs) It's just so ridiculous and gross. It's like a libertarian high school, like, newspaper column. (laughs) (laughs) It's just Like, the asshole who sat in the back of, like, AP U.S. history. This is his newspaper column. Yeah, everything he writes, especially if it's about women, it's just insane and ridiculous. And women are always these, like, useless, directionless, helpless vehicles that can just be tricked or 
turned around unless you're his wife who comes up a few times and apparently really hates him. I mean, she sounds cool. I mean... (laughs) He talks about how she used to drink the unpasteurized Odwalla juices and how, like, he thinks it's gross and it's stupid so he hides them from her. And, like, luckily they started pasteurizing them again so, so she's safe. Like, oh... I feel so sorry for this woman. <laughs> I hope I she divorces just... him and gets all his money. <laughs> I mean, or just murders him. <laughs> I mean, that's the best case scenario for the world. That's true. Man. Well, speaking of murder, let's move on <laughs> to Would You Rather. Would you rather use Christian Mingle to find an uncool spouse or be a horrible feminist shrew? Well, you know, normally I would be happy to throw my weight behind our dear sponsor, Christian Mingle. But in this case, I don't even think I can joke about it. I would have to be a horrible feminist shrew. I I can't not answer that question that way, even as a joke. Um, so here's my problem. Meeting your spouse online is cool now. Uh-oh. So, I mean, I don't know, man. Christian but being Mingle, Christian is uncool. I know. it's it, Greg Gutfield has not prepared me for this kind of gray area. I think it's okay as long as you don't use a Mac. <laughs> oh, that's smart. I do have a Mac, though. Well, shit. So I, I guess um no matter how you slice it i gotta end up a horrible feminist shrew if for no other reason than i'm just too dumb to sort out this problem on my own as a woman as for myself i just i could never see myself ending up with somebody uncool um i just i don't even know how i could handle that so i'll just uh continue to be a horrible feminist shrew i guess yeah, I mean, you couldn't tell your friends. They would super judge you for not having, like, a cool, hip, loser, guitar-playing, you know, boyfriend with a leather jacket. Oh, my God. I know. It's too late for us. We've we've been indoctrinated. We can only hope that the youth of America will become truly cool. Right. Well, and, and normally, I like Kate said, normally I would support Christian Mingle. And normally when you search Christian Mingle, you can check, like, seeking cool or seeking uncool. And so obviously I always seek cool. But since this question specifically says uncool. <laughs> so anyway, I'm a shrew. next question would you rather be a proud veteran of our armed forces or be this fucking douchebag greg gutfeld um i would definitely rather be a proud veteran of our armed forces than spend one day being this guy oh i can't even imagine being this guy (laughs) also i mean I was in the Peace Corps, and sometimes places will extend a veteran's discount also to Peace Corps volunteers, but not very often, because it's not really the armed forces at all. 
And I really, I really don't want to be in the actual armed forces for a number of reasons, but I would still definitely rather do that than have to see the world through this guy's face. Legit. Like, at least the armed forces have now acknowledged that lesbians exist, whereas we don't seem to even be on his radar. Yeah, well, unlike Greg Gutfield, um, when I was younger, I actually did legitimately want to be in the armed forces. So um, I would much rather be a veteran than be this terrible douchebag. All right, last up, would you rather be Greg Gutfeld's wife or be sprayed in the face with DDT? (laughs) Give me the DDT. (laughs) I heard it's not even that bad for you. I'm picking DDT. That shit stops malaria. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I mean, I would like to take a look at the prenuptial agreement before, like, (laughs) I want some information. Um, But I could probably stand being married to him for a little while if afterwards I could get all his money or murder him. I was going to say, are you going to take the bullet for us by putting (laughs) the bullet in him? Well, I I would be a veteran in this scenario, so I I probably would have learned how guns work at some point. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) And I appreciate you. Like, I don't even think I could make it, like, even if it was one of those things where it's like, we met and now we're immediately going to go get married. I halfway through the the ceremony they'd have to stop because i'd be stabbing him and you know probably they'd need to arrest me for that well in this scenario i would be drunk all the time (laughs) (laughs) just like in this current scenario that i'm living out (laughs) okay So, uh, reader's advisory, uh, what would you guys recommend to somebody instead of or in addition to this book? Um, so I can go. I actually uh, find the concept of cool and how that works in terms of sociology and psychology really interesting. And so maybe if someone picked up this book thinking they were actually going to learn some of those things... Um, and clearly did not, (laughs) then I would recommend, um, there's a book called 1959, The Year Everything Changed by Fred Kaplan. Um, and it's actually about the time period that Greg Gutfield references a lot, um, where some of the traditional things we think of as cool, uh, were kind of introduced into the mainstream, Um, there's also Twilight Zones, The Hidden Life of Cultural Images from Plato to OJ by Susan Bordeaux, which is about, uh, like the different people and things that we think are cool and why we think they're cool and the different sorts of implications of those things. Um, and then also if you just need, maybe you do hate hipsters. I feel like this works for everybody. Um, it's called Look at This Fucking Hipster by Joe Manda, and it's from a blog, I think it's from a Tumblr originally, that is pretty funny, and it's just pictures of really intensely hipster people where, like, your only possible reaction is to say, look at this fucking hipster. Um, so, you know, that works if you hate hipsters like Greg Gutfield. 
Gutfeld, whatever the fuck his name is. Pronouncing names correctly is too mainstream. <laughs> I mean, I would just say go out and if there's any like thing that he says in this book that you find yourself maybe nodding along with or agreeing with, go and read an actual book about it. Like, find out what books are out there that are written about this subject and frigging read about it because half the time when he says something, he's not telling the whole story or backing up his claim with any actual evidence. Yeah, maybe read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander instead of just agreeing that black people go to jail because they're too cool. Yeah, or um, what's the name of that book that came out recently about uh, vaccines? Um, On Immunity? Yes, on immunity. By very good reviews. And I read it. I liked really it. Really interesting. Well, good. There you go. Um, I'd also recommend No Logo by Naomi Klein, who is awesome. That is her book about um, sweatshops, but it's also really interesting talking about like some of the relationships that people have with with companies and brands and coolness, if you will, and how that all plays out. Yeah, and I was actually also going to recommend, except I'm blanking on the title, is it This Changes Everything by Naomi Klein? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Global Warning, which, Warming, which uh, is another thing that he brings up in the book that we didn't really talk about. But, of course, global warming, believing in global warming is cool. And uh, <laughs> global warming doesn't actually exist because there are still cold places in the world and people die of exposure. So, obviously, it's a myth. Obviously. Clearly. What a goddamn dum-dum. Really anything, like Kate said, if you're interested in one of these topics, try to find a book by, like, I don't know, an actual scholar and (laughs) not just some douchebag who gets paid to sit in front of a TV camera. Right. Um, I mean, if you genuinely enjoyed this book and, like, what I, like... In terms of actual reader's advisory, like, I never really have people come up to the reference desk and ask me, like, oh, I really like Not Cool. Like, what else would you recommend? Because I think those people kind of already know, you know, they're like, oh, I'll just, I'll read Bill O'Reilly's book. I'll read Ann Coulter's book. And they kind of, like, know their authors already. And so I haven't actually had to do that much legitimate reader's advisory on that front. Yeah. All right. Should we move on to our candy pairings? Guess so. This is the segment of the podcast where, much like a restaurant would recommend a fine wine to go with your meal, we will recommend to you a candy to go with this wonderful work of literature. Um, for my candy, I have chosen a bag of dicks. And I don't mean, I did see recently going around online, um, someone has created a candy bag of dicks and it's just like a bag of candy penises that you can send to people as a joke. But I, I honestly just mean like an actual bag of dicks is what this book is to me. Uh, for me, I've got to say that I'm not going to choose a candy because candy is like, uses this social construct of coolness to make young hip people seem better than those of us with dentures. So I'm just going to chew on glass like a real person. <laughs> Um, so my recommendation is that uh, you find a piece of gum that was made preferably around the 1920s and has just been sitting in an old man's desk drawer 
just getting harder and harder so that when you chew on it, it it will hopefully crack several of your teeth. I think if you like this book, you'll love that. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds very appealing to me. Well, there you go. You're welcome. (laughs) All right. Next, um, our next segment is called The Rock Paper Snicked. And it is, of course, where uh, Kate explains who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I say who Wolverine would be in this book. And our guest, Amy, will uh, decide which of us wins. Or she could choose paper, which would be to leave the book as is. I will start off. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, uh, he wouldn't actually be in this book. He would just rip the manuscript from this asshole's hands before he could get past the introduction. The Rock would then write his own book about how coolness is relative and it's important to manage your expectations for yourself without holding yourself up to anyone or anything else and how low self-esteem can lead to unhealthy comparisons with the world around you when you don't measure up. He'd say that instead of lashing out at people whom you think, right or wrong, are better than you, to be kind to everyone because you don't know what they're going through. In this particular AU, he learned that from my dad, who says shit like that all the time, because he and my dad are BFF. And then my dad introduces me to The Rock, and then I introduce him to my friend Wolverine, and then they fall in love. I love it. But um, I think if Wolverine were in this book, he would just straight up stab Greg Gutfeld with his claws in the face. And afterward, he would smoke a cigar and walk away from an explosion without looking back. And it would be super cool. So so that's tough. Because one uh, really appealingly ends with Greg Gutfeld dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is wonderful. Uh, the other has the beautiful happy ending of The Rock and Wolverine uh, falling in love. And I assume having a really beautiful wedding. Uh, which I would be the maid of honor at. <laughs> just, a, just a logical leap I'm making there. Um, but I think I have to choose the one where Wolverine stabs Greg Gutfeld because that moment just seems really, really fulfilling for everybody. And cool. Yeah, I feel yeah. you. I feel you. I can't fault you for that. <laughs> but you know afterwards you know he he walks away from this explosion he keeps going and then eventually he still meets the rock because that's just destiny yeah yeah that's true all right good game yeah i think we both have some really compelling uh compelling thoughts here on the subject <laughs> <laughs> um let's move on and discuss the moral of the story um, I would say that the moral of the story is that newspaper clip from the, the Simpsons, Old Man Yells at Cloud. <laughs> yep. Yep. Pretty succinct. Um, for me, this is another book with the the moral, rich white men are the worst, and they're also very uncool. Good call. Uh, so for me, it's the moral is that if you are cool, uh, then you are absolutely rich, lazy, and hate veterans. Sounds about right. Yep, that's pretty much exactly what he says over and over and over again. Yep. All right, now it's time to hear from a really cool cat, uh, Duarte. 
So I'll turn it over to Duarte's corner where he can express his thoughts about not cool. I think that was really well said, Duarte. I I agree more, and I, I wish that you could bite Greg Gutfeld in his stupid face. I think that would be very satisfying for us all. I mean, I know we have the explicit rating on iTunes, but do you think we need to, like, censor some of that or jack that <laughs> rating up? That was pretty intense. I mean, I'm it with you. With you. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where he would have learned some of that language, honestly. I mean, it's clear why uh, Greg Gutfeld decided to leave Cats altogether out of his book, because they clearly have very strong feelings about him. Yeah. Cats are not the Fox News demographic. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? Oh, hi, (laughs) Dorothy. He was Your not time fit. is over. <laughs> um, don't read this book. It's garbage. It's garbage and it'll make you angry. And I hated it more than I hated the Christmas sweater. Oh, really? I did, yes. I would say I still hate the Christmas sweater more. Well, the Christmas sweater got me just really down afterwards. And this was just more like, I was annoyed at it, certainly. I mean, I hated it. Well, I mean, we'll see. The Christmas sweater has now had like three months buffer for me. So in three months, I might change my mind. Okay. But like I had to, at least with the Christmas sweater, I could read it quickly. Like I I pushed through it in a couple days and it took me forever to finish this book because I would just get so mad. I could only read like 20 pages at a time. Uh, See, I was forced to read this pretty quickly because I put it off until the last minute. (laughs) did everything possible to put off this book. Um, So actually, if you have a lot of stuff that you need to get done, I recommend having some kind of situation where you are forced to read this book because every day you will come up with as many things as you can that you need to do before you read this book. (laughs) Um, But otherwise, uh, you should absolutely burn it in a fire. (laughs) That's so, that's so cool. Uh, I know. Fires are so paleo. (laughs) I had, I shared with Amy and Renata before the show, um, because my library didn't have any e-copies of this and, um, I don't have a car currently. So to get the physical copy, which would have needed to be interlibrary loaned, I would need to go to the library, which I can't currently do. Um, I ended up having to buy it for Kindle and like, I need to go donate money to charity. Like I, I seriously need to go give $15 to some like feminist organization to make me feel better about this purchase. Yeah. that's um, Well, yeah. you know, I don't know. I mean, we also gave all our money to 50 shades of gray. So <laughs> maybe, maybe that balances out. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the only real way to make up for this would be if Kate went to New York and mugged Graves <laughs> and took at least four times the price she paid for this. <laughs> All right, so 
Get on that, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sorry you had to read this book. Uh, Me too, but thank you, (laughs) I guess. This was terrible. And thanks to everyone for listening. Um, You can subscribe to us on iTunes and or on Stitcher. And you better rate and review us or else we'll come to your house and force you to read this book. Mm -hmm. Please make sure to tell everyone in iTunes how cool we are. It's really important that you get the word out about how cool we are to reach our our key demo, which is women (laughs) who are easily swayed by coolness. (laughs) You can also follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at Worst Best Seller with no S. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14 across. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Amy Dig. That's A M Y D I E G. And you should. <laughs> you can also visit us online at worstbestsellers.com where you can see all of our past episodes, um, the as mentioned footnotes page for this episode the reader's advisory and every once in a while we'll post extras uh, right up right now. There is an essay by Sigrid Ellis up there about the appeal of flowers in the attic and it's really good and you should check it out. 100%. All right. Well, we'll be back in two weeks with model land by Tyra Banks. And until then, uh, congratulations. You're all still in the running towards becoming America's next top podcast listeners. Yes. <laughs> Bye. 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 And so I was like, so betrayed when I got, and I was like, oh no, this is all, there's no end notes. I have to read all of this.